I'll say to them, okay, great. But what will happen at three o'clock in the morning when we've been working 16 hours on a seventh day in the middle of Morocco on the side of a desert hill? Will you really want this? This is the Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Donald Mowat's love for film started early, but it was seeing Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon at the tender age of 12 that sparked his love for makeup specifically. Today, Donald is one of the industry's most sought-after makeup artists, working with some of the world's most notable directors, including John Carpenter, Guillermo del Toro, Martin Scorsese, Sam Mendes, and David Mamet, among many, many others. Over the past decade, Donald has worked closely with Denis Villeneuve. Their latest partnership, Dune, a project in which Donald is makeup and hair department head as well as prosthetic designer, is a culmination of Donald's vast experience and his working relationship with Denis. We recently had a chance to speak with Donald about his career, the challenges of making Dune, how technology is changing the industry, and he provides some great insights for young people interested in starting their careers in film. This conversation was recorded during a Dune press day, and it's therefore a little bit shorter than you might be used to for the podcast. Here's our conversation with Donald Mowat. Pleasure. Nice to meet you. You as well. Um, Before we talk about Dune, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the earlier part of your career. I was particularly curious about what inspired you to get into this line of work to begin with. Um, Well, it's a... It's a great question. Well, to be honest, I, I think when I was a kid, I, I probably, um, I loved going to the movies. I loved it. I just, you know, and I probably saw films I shouldn't have been seeing at Cinema 5 in Montreal. But, you know, Barry Lyndon, I guess I would have been in grade six. Don't ask why I saw Barry Lyndon. But I remember noticing things, you know, the look of the people and the clothes and the makeup. Well, not, I didn't know that's what it was, if that makes sense. But when I started seeing people's names attached to it, and then all the make, it was I started to focus, and it was all men's names. And I thought, you see, this is interesting, and I found it very interesting that I'd never heard about this. Um, and I was just obsessed at looking at the credits and and who did what. And I started knowing the names. And I remember my teacher being so, I think, shocked that I went to see Barry Lyndon at age twelve. And that I thought it was a great film to recommend to other 12-year-olds. <laughs> I think I just, you know, I was too oddball, maybe. Um, and that really was the beginning, you know, seeing films and and that I could make a living at it once I started working in theater and uh, amateur productions that people said, hey, get him to do the makeup. And when I put it all together that this funny kid, a bit eccentric, could get paid to do it, that's what I decided I would do. And practically speaking, did that entail you going to school or are you self-taught? How did that come about? Mostly self-taught because back then, I mean, I mean, it is a long time ago. I mean, it's 40 years. It's 40 years ago. Um, There wasn't what there is today. And it was a very simpler time, mostly learning on the job. But I kept going to, you know, I grew up in Montreal. So I went to siege up in creative arts and fine. But it was just all these courses that were close, but not really. You know, uh, but they all helped in the end, uh, sculpture and painting and art history. All of it came in handy. But I never finished any of those courses. And I just started getting work. That's really and, how it started. 
And and did it? Did you start working in film right away, or did you start in theater and other? Theater. When I was in Montreal at Dawson, there was a photography program, and a really great guy who apparently just died a couple years ago. I was very sorry to hear. He was, I guess, the head of the film and television and creative arts program, and he was really good to me and started like letting me come to photography sessions and building a portfolio. And I told him I really want to work in movies and do and do makeup. And he said, well, why don't you do the makeup on the portfolios, which was kind of genius. Talk about, he was a great teacher. And I met a woman called Beryl who had studied in London at the Royal Albert Hall. And she taught me sort of principles of stage makeup. And I started getting recommended to go and work with different people. You know, I went to meet the dancer, Margie Gillis, um, you know, uh, and I think that's kind of pieced it all together that I worked on, you know, uh, I guess, amateur theater, you know, operettas, things like that, and fashion shows and, you know, nightclubs for $25 a night, you know, doing the models up and stuff. But I learned a lot and then went to work on a film, working on the background. Wow. And I mean, I am assuming like Montreal is such a cultural city and there's so much that happens there. I assume that being there kind of in the center of all this action was also really beneficial. You know, I would think so. But to be honest, I mean, I don't know. What city are you in? I'm in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah, I would say actually Montreal going to Toronto was really the move mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, Vancouver was just starting like in the 80s, like TV and films. But Toronto, Montreal was still a bit, I don't know. Toronto was where I thought it was going on because of the Canadian industry. And it was more attainable, I guess. So I felt Toronto had a lot going on and. Eight, I'm, we're going back now, like 84 and 85, and I was hired on Anna Green Gables for mm-hmm. CBC. Um, and that's really what started getting me working most of the time. Um, I, I think it's really interesting because you've you've worked across all these various mediums um, and not just the mediums, but also different styles of film. And, and, and I'm curious, is there one genre that you prefer to another? Well, it's funny you say that because when I started, it was I really took pride in working on lots of period things, especially television, because that's what we did in Canada in the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. cyclical. So in the 80s, especially Toronto, Montreal, were, were all kinds of period things in television. You know, it's Dion Quintuplets and Banting and Best and all of these things, Victorian, uh, early kind of Canadiana, um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I really took great pride that I was very good at period makeup. But it's funny, then I moved away from it and started working in, in makeup effects and being an assistant on the fly and a couple of other things. Um, so I think you just go through and you land where maybe you're best suited. Um, and and I don't know, maybe based in reality or things that were based in reality seem to suit me or people like the work mm-hmm. more maybe um when you when you come on a project how do you start what's the process when you start to think about you know hair and makeup and design how do you start to put together the 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 concepts of what things are going to look like you know i think each project is different i mean essentially you you just depending on the director you've got and who has hired you if they're asking you know they're each person I've worked with will will come to you with a different challenge or they'll pose, you know, they'll ask you like, how do you feel about working this way? Or, 
do you want to be in charge of all the prosthetics and the makeup and the hair? And other times they won't. They'll have someone else they want looking after that, which is great. I mean, it's it's fine. Other jobs, I'm not that interested unless I'm doing, you know, a, a major uh, one of the actors, if I'm being brought in as a personal. Um, so I think I approach however they've come to me. If, it, if it's a film that has a, a really strong makeup element, which Denis Villeneuve's films tend to have. So it was very exciting when I first worked with him on Prisoners uh, because every character had sort of some type of a makeup thing. And I found that really exciting to work with an ensemble cast that you can bring your ideas and show lots of visuals to the director. He in turn sends you things that don't always match up. And then you kind of get a sense of what they're looking for. You production designer, costume designer. I take my lead very much from the costume designer, what they're working on. Um, And I would say that's kind of how I start is, and then you get the actors. And then once you meet them, it can also change. You might have a whole idea lined up with Photoshop and examples and other films or stills and magazine clippings and do a complete board. And then you meet the actor and go, what was I thinking? That's completely wrong. And I, that's happened many times, many, many times. And how do you how do you kind of overcome that once, you know, you've done all of this pre-work leading into production and all of a sudden you're about yeah. to start and you have to change everything? Well, I think it's a bit like shopping online. I think it's like buying a shirt or, you know, thinking something's going to be incredible because it looks good the way you've seen it, but it's not once you try it on. And I do think that it's it's really the person, what they, you know, ideas sound good and then you talk to the actor and, and you suddenly realize it's not practical or the idea they might have sounds great as well, but it won't work practically over the course of four months or how do you match it or pardon me, do you have the budget and what happens at three? You know, I've often said this to an actor when they've come up with something that I don't really agree with. Um, I'll say to them, okay, great. But what will happen at three o'clock in the morning when we've been working 16 hours on a seventh day in the middle of Morocco on the side of a desert hill? Will you really want this? This is experience talking. I, I can tell. And that's when I get a bit, you need to listen to me because this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, most people will say, what do you really think? And I'll tell them. <laughs> and other times, you know, you you make a mistake. You think, well, let's take, I don't want to take, I never take the easy way out, but I, I you have to be practical and decide, you know, with your experience. That's why they're hiring you. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. they hired you to say, I really would not suggest doing that makeup under these circumstances in the heat of this country, mm-hmm. uh, it's not the way to go. I'm curious, you, you mentioned uh, working with the Neon Prisoners. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was your working relationship with him, because you have worked on a number of projects with him. Mm-hmm. And th- does working with him, is it different working with him than working with other directors? Does he have a different method? Does the, does the way that you two now interact, now that you've done a number of projects together, does that change kind of how you approach or how you work? Um, I think we have a really, uh, it's a very good relationship because it's still very much, uh, um, it's, it's, it's professional. It's extremely professional. We're also friends, uh, but I don't, I, we don't mix it up. I mean, I really like to, to, I'm very old fashioned that way. And I think he is as well that we can work and, and go think practically. And when we need to speak on set, 
we'll talk and we email or, or if there's a problem or if there's something he's not sure about, he'll call me or he'll email me. But I think he's, um, he's incredibly respectful in a business that, I mean, it's not to say it's not a respectful business. It's just, you have a lot of very stubborn type A personalities, you know, working creatively. And, and I think, you know, the director is the director that he or she are in charge. And I think, I have to take my lead and sometimes they want you to also be challenged. And he does that. He will give me an assignment that I go, Oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, But that's, that's a great director and that's a great person you want to work for and work with. Um, There are other directors who are just different. They have a different, they need you to show them everything you're doing and explain it to them. Um, other directors don't need very much schooling because they're technically very savvy. David Fincher, he knows what a silicone prosthetic appliance is. Other directors, you may have to talk them through, but, um, you know, you can explain different things. Other people want no interference. They will say to you, I defer to you. I defer to you. And I mean, I think that's great, but sometimes it's, you know, it's not great because either they don't care or they just don't get it and they don't want to tell you they don't get it. Mm. Um, and then the actor will come in and it changes the dynamics. So Denise very, it's collaborative with the actors, with me, with every department. So you feel like you're being shepherded and like, he'll come on the trailer. We'll be working somewhere and I'll ask him to come in just to kind of establish the, the mood, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll talk about it. You know, it's just, I think Javier Bardem, I think I made him up. We had done some Photoshop and I really wasn't sure if I was going over the top. Was it turning into a caricature? And he loved it. I just said, let me bring him out to the set and you look at him in costume with his props and have a look at him. And that's how we work. We, we do lots of show and tell and make changes if it's necessary. You have you wear a lot of hats on Dune. <laughs> you, you're not just hair and makeup designer. You lead the departments. You're also doing prosthetics. Yeah. I'm curious for you, what was the most challenging part of this particular project? Well, I think because I took on these roles I, I, for a lot of reasons. One, sometimes you just have to run it the way you think you run it. Because as I get older and have the experience... I think that people are exhausting. You know what I mean. That you can sometimes people are exhausting when you have to share a lot of your time and energy with your team. You want a team working sort of unified and and I think it can be tiresome to split three departments. If that makes sense. Oh, that for if, sure. it, if it's one department run by one person who's handling all the decisions with the director and the studio and the budget it just actually made a lot of sense for all of us. Denis really liked it. We hadn't tried that before. I kind of wished I had on Blade Runner because mm. uh, I, f- I found I didn't have uh, uh, I didn't have the support I should have, and maybe had not the the. It wasn't the team probably that was it made sense in terms of you know sometimes we have to work very quickly and people don't always realize the pressure is like you've. You've, you're given an hour, maybe an hour and a half in a pre-call um, to get your cast ready for, for shooting. So you have to have a team of people who can work very quickly. In a, um, Well, Norman Jewison always said movies work like the military and going to war, and he's not wrong. Because 
it's very structured, as you know. It's a very structured industry. And you have to, when we were plotting how we would shoot in the Middle East and Jordan, Denise said to me, like, how many people are you going to have for this? Because we're going to be shooting there and we're going to do this. So I have to be able to shepherd my team of people that can we do this, like with all of us in the trailer with eight actors. I mean, I had Zendaya and Timmy and Rebecca and Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac. I mean, it's a lot of people with four of us. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the small lean group is more effective than a large one. Thank you. That's what I thought. And, and I think as well, taking over running it. So my team that built beautifully, I mean, sculpted the whole Stellan makeup as the Baron. I mean, it was a lot of work, but you see that had to be done remotely in a makeup effects um, studio in Stockholm, Sweden, while we were shooting in Jordan, it was being built. Oh, wow. Was that, was that the most challenging aspect of your, uh, of the job in this case? Was that, I would, the... say, I would say for the, the amount of prep, because it was 18, well, it was sort of from the time Denny and I met before, way before we started production, the concept from the concept, which was a couple of drawings, some Photoshop. And, and I had suggested it's, Marlon Brando, Apocalypse Now, slashed Island of Dr. Moreau, more Island of Dr. Moreau, and gorilla-like, which Denis responded to, gorilla-like, mean, vicious, big, but not funny, because that was the one thing I kept saying to him, fat can be funny on film. And so I think once we got our first couple of things and I found the right people to build the suit, I would say the because of the cost involved and the manpower and that Stellan wasn't shooting till the very end of the schedule, we were able to do a camera test, a practical one, just for Denis to see and the cinematographer. And then a, a, a really practical test in Budapest where we were shooting uh, about mm, a month and a half before Stellan was due to film. And that way we had a little turnaround, a reaction time, they call it. Which, you know, it was a lot of people So you know, I gained 10 pounds, somebody else lost 10 pounds, you know. We, we all suffered different ways. And my team, I mean, I could tell by the look, they really del- they did a great job. I mean, Luve Larson and Ava Von Barr and three and five people to do that makeup on Stellan and a cooling unit with a guy, you know, running around with a cooling unit attached to that suit running behind them. So every time you see Stellan in the movie, there's a guy three feet away with a cooling unit. Oh, brother, that's crazy. I know. I, I'm curious. I mean, you, you've you've worked in the industry for so many years and, and you've done some amazing, amazing films over the course of your career. And I'm really curious about, you know, technology and how technology, the, mm-hmm. the advancements in technology may or may not change, you know, your role and has changed your role over the course of your career and where you see it going. Is technology kind of changing the way that you do your job? Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, visual effects really... I mean, you know, I'm not a a technophile. I never have been. I mean, I still work practically with just about everything. I mean, I am the guy who the fact that I actually have an Apple computer now and not a PC, I write things down. I still have a phone book. Um, So I'm that guy. Right. In an industry that has changed so much from when I started, that's VFX and digital, that I do think sometimes it has, we're overwhelmed by it because the audience know what it is. And, 
you know, a bit of the cinema magic has been lost. Everyone knows by the, you know, um, face off on all those programs, everyone knows what we do. But at the same time, it's like saying to somebody like my mother, who's, you know, a, a very long retired registered nurse watching television shows about med- medical situations is that it doesn't mean that's the way it's done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That you sort of look at if you were a registered nurse or a doctor watching 95% of the medical shows, they, they, those guys laugh at shows we take seriously. Um, so I feel a bit, I'm not making a very good comparison, but the point would be, I think sometimes the practical world, uh, uh, a lot of people are so obsessed with, you know, everything being the latest and greatest technologically. But if push comes to shove and your computer crashes, how are you going to do this makeup? Like, what? how are you going to do an old age makeup or make this wig look better or, you know, create uh, something that doesn't exist if you're only relying on technology you're going to be in big trouble and and i think that uh it's a balance so i think we go with the new technology with traditional methods and you kind of marry them and we work together instead of being you know inundated by new information I wanted to finish by asking you about, you know, if you had a tip or something to to say, only one thing that you could tell, uh, you know, a young person that's interested in getting into this field, what would that piece of advice be? Well, I would love to see more people, young people uh, follow, come into the industry, not just in what I do. I think there's so many interesting crafts, uh, you know, makeup, hair, costume, props, scenic, painting, you know. Uh, construction you can be creative you know there's there's um i guess explore the possibilities it's not just about being an actor or director because that's all we ever hear from young people right it's always um the things that are obvious and i think people aren't we don't learn it i certainly didn't understand there was a whole industry because i wasn't connected to it um so I, i would say for young people to really ask around get the information you know, follow people, communicate, uh, because the guidance counselors in school don't always know about that. And, and it's, it's something that's still not a traditional job, but it's become more mainstream, especially in places like Vancouver or Toronto, where, you know, um, that have very viable, uh, creative and, and, and entertainment industry, right? Yeah, and I guess much easier for young people to showcase their work and talent now with social media. You can put your work out there for other people to see. I think yes and no, but the, the I mean, the downside is it gets a little bit, they fix them. And I've always said to people, don't fix your work, don't alter it. Mm. Show people truthfully what your work looks like because it's it's as dishonest as showing, you know, a, a lot of, like it's falsifying a document, isn't it? And and I think that for young people to see, I know the filters and Facebook and Instagram, but the one thing I do tell them is don't do that too often when you're starting because you're selling something that's not, you can't deliver. That makeup will never look like that. You're and doing yourself a disservice. You are. And because what will happen is you will try that and a director and actor will go, that's not what the picture looked like. <laughs> 
you know. Um, yeah, of course. Donald, thank you so much for your time. I could talk to you for another hour, to be honest. Oh, my pleasure, Marina. Thanks so much. Thank you. Congratulations on the film. I cannot wait to see. I know you're working on some more projects, so I'm very excited to see what you have next. Hopefully, we'll get to talk again very soon. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Donald Mowat. You can see Donald's latest project, Dune, in theaters on Friday, October the 1st, and also available on HBO Max. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.